Referred to as, quote, the most spectacular piece of highway ever built, the New Jersey Turnpike is the world's most modeled highway. It was the first modern-day toll road providing entrance to numerous locations in New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania, and New York, spanning 148 miles with 28 exit locations. It officially opened to traffic in 1951 and has been a staple of the tri-state area ever since. Today, the New Jersey Turnpike is the most heavily traveled toll road in the United States, with 12-foot-wide lanes, 10-foot-wide shoulders, and many service stops named after influential New Jersey residents, being referred to in several aspects of film, music, and television, the New Jersey Turnpike is considered emblematic of American culture. So what were the initial means to produce such a massive expressway? Why were tolls controversial, and what remains of the original roadway? Today we discover the story of New Jersey's Turnpike. I'm your host Ryan Sokash, and you're watching It's History. As a video creator who loves to explore curious topics, I am thrilled to have recently discovered our sponsor, Wondrium, the streaming platform that has provided me with endless inspiration. Wondrium is where you will find the answer to everything you've ever wondered about and some of the things you've never imagined you'd wonder about. Their carefully curated collection of short and long-form videos, tutorials, how-tos, travel logs, documentaries, and more is academically comprehensive, thoroughly researched, relentlessly entertaining, and presented by engaging experts. In a nutshell, Wondrium is the place for the mind that wonders. It's the place for you. In their series, World Heritage Sites, Exploring the World's Greatest Places, I learned that UNESCO has preserved over 1,100 sites worldwide, which hold a unique significance for humanity. Learning about these places is akin to learning to be human, from the burned ruins of Pompeii to natural wonders like the Great Reef. You will visit 24 of these magnificent monuments. So if you've ever wondered about anything, Wondrium will be your new favorite place, and they're giving our viewers a great gift of a free trial. So show your support for our show by visiting wondrium.com slash its history to get your free trial now. Seriously, your brain is going to love this place. Most accounts of the American highway system start with the fact that most American roads in the 19th century were in bad shape. Gravel, rocks, and wood blocks paved the streets in some 19th century townships. Unfortunately, the vast majority of roads were still made of dirt, and the primary use of transportation was canal and railroads. Turnpikes left a critical social and political stamp on the communities that debated or supported them, becoming symbols of civic pride after enduring a period of substantial controversy. Americans dreaded that turnpikes would become, quote, engrossing monopolists who would charge travelers outrageous toll prices or abuse eminent domain advantage. Most simply did not want to pay for travel that had formerly been free. That being said, obtaining funds to maintain these much-traveled roads also became a burden. Therefore, tolls were put into place. Soon after, private road building went in waves throughout the 19th century and across the country, with many companies successfully financing 
building and operating toll roads. One of the most successful occurrences of this time was the Turnpike era of the eastern states, essentially producing the New Jersey Turnpike into more than just your basic road. It was designed to accommodate the eruption of vehicle traffic in post-World War II America, providing ample transportation for its ever-growing population. In the 1930s, the New Jersey State Highway Department proposed two state highways, Route 100 and Route 300. Route 100 was the connection from New Brunswick to the George Washington Bridge, and Route 300 was the southern part of the turnpike from Delaware Memorial Bridge to New Brunswick. Both roads were to be designed without the use of tolls. Unfortunately, the State Highway Department did not have the finances to complete the two freeways and very little of the road was built under their patronage. So in October of 1948, the state legislator enacted the New Jersey Turnpike Authority Act, creating the New Jersey Turnpike Authority to construct, maintain, repair, and operate turnpike projects. A retired Army Corps of Engineers officer who served in World War II, General W.W. Wanamaker was appointed as the first executive director of the Turnpike Authority. The 1948 legislation also called for three non-salaried commissioners to oversee the project, with Paul Trost as chairman, George Smith as vice chairman, and Maxwell Lester Jr. as treasurer. The idea of two routes was merged into creating one super highway. But where did they get the funds? Well, the New Jersey Turnpike Authority issued revenue bonds to finance the road based entirely on future tolls without using any tax money. This was a risky investment, but proved to be victorious, since the New Jersey Turnpike received widespread acclaim and ultimately captured much attention, becoming one of America's most famous roads. Originally only planned to be 118 miles, Wanamaker decided to divide the turnpike into seven simultaneous projects to expedite the construction process. About 90 major construction contracts and more than 40 miscellaneous contracts were created during the project. Over 110 contractors shared this work. Employees were initially hired in 1949, and the urgency to complete the turnpike as quickly as possible gave turnpike employees a sense of mission and optimism. Even so, designing and constructing the New Jersey Turnpike wasn't easy. One major issue was a strict timeline. The turnpike was set to be completed by November of 1951, so the prestige of the administration rested in the hands of the employees to not only build the highway quickly, but also to build it well. Once the engineers determined that the turnpike should be a controlled access highway, they started establishing a design speed. The design speed was 75 miles per hour south of East Brunswick and 70 miles per hour north of East Brunswick initially, and ultimately ended up settling on a legal speed limit of 60 miles per hour to allow for a margin of safety. Access to the turnpike would only be at interchanges spaced at a considerable distance apart. The roadways were to have extra wide traffic lanes and broad shoulders on both sides. 
Particular attention was given to the signs along the New Jersey Turnpike. The first signs that announced the interchange which offers the route and route number and towns to which the swap gives access were posted two miles before the interchange. All signs were to reflect brightly at night and reflectors are also posted above the shoulders at 150 foot intervals and installed in the six inch wide broken white lines that separate the traffic lanes. The project had its challenges. The pavement that was to be chosen had to exceed extremely heavy truckloads. Both concrete and asphalt had their advantages and disadvantages. Asphalt was proven to be highly flexible pavement and also affordable. Therefore, it was adopted as the selected material. During construction, an issue that presented itself was the city of Elizabeth, an older industrial city of 110,000 residents. The problem was that over 400 homes and many businesses would be demolished, depending on the chosen route. The engineers decided to go through a residential area in a defeated Elizabeth neighborhood where the property value was at its lowest. So financially, this was the best option, but it was also the closest route to Newark Airport. When construction reached Pulaski Skyway, another challenge came to light. Would they build under or above? If engineers went over the Skyway, which is 90 feet high, they would have to elevate the turnpike above the ground. If they went under, the cost would be significantly lower. Overall, the roadway would be very close to the Passaic River, clearing it by only 110 feet, making it difficult for ships to pass. Regardless, the turnpike was ultimately built to pass under. Another area that was up for debate was Hudson County, located directly across the river from Manhattan and was later renamed Laurel Hill. With isolation hospitals and three burial grounds, the institutions steadily emptied after the Depression. And by 1950, the New Jersey Turnpike ran right through their sights. So with all the ups and downs, the New Jersey Turnpike finally opened, surprisingly, on schedule on November the 5th, 1951. The entire 118 mile length of the Turnpike took 25 months to construct at a total cost of $255 million. When completed, the governor of New Jersey, Alfred E. Driscoll, stated in the New York Times, quote, In 1949, we determined to build in New Jersey the finest highway in the world, linking the interstate crossing of the Hudson River with the interstate crossing of the Delaware River. For the convenience of the citizens of New Jersey, and our sister states. This project was called the New Jersey Turnpike. Our Turnpike Authority has substantially completed this project with incredible speed. In 1952, its first full year of operation, the Turnpike carried 17.9 million vehicles and generated $16.2 million in toll revenues. Since the beginning, the Turnpike has utilized a ticket system in which motorists are given a magnetically encoded ticket upon entering the Turnpike. This ticket is handed over at one of the 27 toll plazas where the collector calculates the toll. The toll fee depends on the distance traveled therefore longer distances result in higher tolls. And if the ticket's lost, the driver must pay the highest fee upon exiting. 
Since established, one of the best things the New Jersey Turnpike offers is its rest stops or service areas. There are 23 rest stops, and they are all named after a deceased individual with some connection to the state. This includes Alexander Hamilton, Vince Lombardi, and the Woodrow Wilson service areas. They are all very similar in design, assisting with food, restrooms, and travel maintenance. Since the New Jersey Turnpike has the distinction of being America's sixth busiest toll road, it's also one of the most heavily traveled highways in the entire country. Having many places to stop is essential and convenient for in-state and out-of-state travelers. Between the Delaware Memorial Bridge and the George Washington Bridge, there are a lot of hidden gems along the way. For example, just outside of Wilmington, Delaware, Pennsville is home to New Jersey's most western point and an excellent spot to enter the superhighway. Another interesting spot is the Bamboo Forest located in New Brunswick. Hosted by Rutgers Garden, this serene retreat into nature was initially intended as a winter shelter for honeybee colonies in the 1950s. Overall, the Turnpike will grant you complete access to beautiful locations like Red Bank Battlefield, Head Resource Park, and even the world's largest light bulb located in Edison, New Jersey. The Turnpike wasn't always just a place for travel. It also served as venue to one of America's most prominent protests. You see, the anti-Vietnam War protest at the state capitol on April the 24th, 1971, also known as May Day protest, made its way up the Turnpike. On that day, over 175,000 people protested in Washington, D.C. against the raging Vietnam War. The American government had been involved in this war since 1965, and the public support for the conflict was rapidly decreasing. The war proved to be costly, but it also experienced a lack of direction and confusion that ultimately boiled over into chaos. For a little context, at this time, the protest in D.C. was actually the largest demonstration against the American war that the nation had ever known, and people were traveling up and down the East Coast to participate. At 6.30 p.m., the march began with many cars and at least one bus stopping in the northbound lanes after coming off the Delaware Memorial Bridge near Interchange 2 just 17 miles southwest of Camden. In a colossal domino effect, thousands of vehicles slowly and ultimately stopped. Hundreds of people, primarily young, poured out of their vehicles, stopping northbound traffic. They made their way into the southbound lanes and started a massive bonfire across the vast superhighway. The protesters completely blocked the turnpike, leaving a symphony of honking horns that had zero effect on them. They would spend the next four hours engaging in a carefree attitude while some chanted anti-war slogans, held hands, and sang songs. Others played frisbee while wandering across all six lanes. Eventually, the state troopers began to intersect the scene. More than 50 troopers began to navigate and detour cars onto exits. 
By 10.30 p.m., all traffic on nearby roads, including Interstate 295 and the nearby Delaware Memorial Bridge, moved at a crawling pace. After several people refused to follow police orders, they were arrested. At the end of the day, over 100 protesters were incarcerated and 13 vehicles were towed away. Even though resistance was intense that night, New Jersey eventually got its turnpike back and the situation was cleared up by the following day. Riding along the New Jersey Turnpike turned into a source of inspiration and expression for many artists over the years. In 1956, the famous musician Chuck Berry wrote a song called You Can't Catch Me. He described being chased by the police on the turnpike. In contemporary poetry and music, the New Jersey Turnpike was reflective of its times. In the 1950s, the turnpike represented efficiency and freedom and was a source of pride. However, the 1960s and 70s had a different, more negative view towards the massive highway as the decades passed. Artists felt that the turnpike was a sign of pollution, a spoiler to the environment, and the cause of natural angst. The Simon and Garfunkel song America probably puts it best with the line, counting the cars on the New Jersey turnpike and they've all gone to look for America. By the 1980s, there was a coming to terms with the turnpike. The song State Trooper by Bruce Springsteen begins with the quote, New Jersey Turnpike Riding on a Wet Night, and he ends the song with Deliver Me From Nowhere, referring to both the turnpike and the mood of existence. When the 1990s arrived, the New Jersey Turnpike once again became an excellent testimonial in the hit television show, The Sopranos. Much of the opening credits consist of cinematic shots from the New Jersey Turnpike. Then in 99, the film Being John Malkovich was released. The main characters are transferred into the mind of the actor, John Malkovich, and after a few minutes, they are suddenly dropped in a ditch along the New Jersey Turnpike. The Turnpike has come a long way since its opening date in 1951. Today, its advancement has evolved into a digital form. An automatic traffic surveillance and control system provides information to the Turnpike Traffic Operator Center in New Brunswick from 965 embedded sensors and closed-circuit TV cameras. The system then uses this information to control the changeable messages, lane use, hazard warning, and speed limit signs. The system warns motorists of congestion, accidents, and adverse weather conditions. The birth of the Easy Pass in September of 2000 also played a huge role in digital advancements. The Easy Pass introduced the Turnpike to an electronic toll collection. With this discovery, the Turnpike introduced toll plazas with express Easy Pass lanes, allowing Easy Pass customers to travel through the plaza area at high speeds. Ensuring that this process is observed appropriately, they installed Easy Pass sensors on overhead cranes to help monitor traffic. And now every toll lane on the Turnpike accepts Easy Pass. The leadership of the New Jersey Turnpike Authority has also changed. Currently, it is governed by an eight-member board of commissioners, and two seats are now vacant. The governor of New Jersey has the power to appoint new members to the board and the ability to designate the chairs. In 2003, the authority assumed control of the Garden State Parkway, previously maintained by an agency known as the New Jersey Highway Authority. 
The future of the New Jersey Turnpike is broad. Turnpike traffic is rising and a, quote, widening program has been implemented. The population and employment growth in central New Jersey is estimated to increase by 17.5% and 28.2% by 2032. Northbound traffic volume is expected to increase by nearly 68% and southbound traffic is forecasted to increase by an astonishing 92%. With this being said, the New Jersey Turnpike Interchange 6 to 9 widening program consists of exactly 35 miles of road widening from Interchange 6 in Mansfield Township, Burlington County, to just south of Interchange 9 in East Brunswick Township of Middlesex County. The construction shall continue and the proposed improvements to the turnpike include a 12-lane roadway from Interchange 6 to Interchange 9 capable of accommodating projected traffic needs through the year of 2032. This widening program will cost about $2.5 billion and decrease congestion, eliminate bottlenecks, increase economic activity in the region, and create nearly 20,000 jobs in the next 18 months. But it's never enough. This cycle never ends as the population grows. The New Jersey Turnpike will be forever updated. Last year, over 200 million toll-paying vehicles journeyed more than 6 billion miles on the Turnpike, generating over $400 million in revenue, and we might safely assume that with the never-ending construction of the Turnpike and its modernization, the traffic on this road will continue to move for many years to come. But it's funny how contradictions appear throughout history. Because as we learned about New Jersey in a previous video, there are also many abandoned passages for railway. And perhaps at a time where the turnpike has exceeded 12 lanes, it might be time to reinvigorate some of those old connections. But you could be the judge by checking out our video on New Jersey's Forgotten Central Line. And I'd like to end this video on something of a personal note, a confession. My favorite road in New Jersey is the Garden State Parkway. And if you'd like us to do a follow-up video on that topic, let us know by subscribing so you won't miss our new videos every Thursday and Saturday. And until next time, this is Ryan Sokash signing off.